welcome to the Halliday Wine Companion Podcast. This is our space to chat about wine without all the fluff, from how to taste and describe it to how to pair it to that dinner party you're hosting next weekend. We'll be chatting to industry professionals from across the country, tackling all things wine from a palatable perspective. I'm Tom Carr, your host, and I'm part of the team here at Halliday, and this is By the Glass. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of By the Glass. I am down on Victoria's rather delectable morning to Peninsula, and I'm surrounded by barrels, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, The turn of phrase single vineyard or township wines is often thrown around in today's wine world. And uh, on today's show, we're going to delve into this very notion and explore the world of site-specific wines. I'm joined by winemaker Barney Flanders, and yes, that is his name, and it is a cracker, from Garagist on, as I said, Victoria's Morning to Peninsula. Barney specialises in single vineyard township wines that showcase the unique features of various sub-regions along the MP. Please welcome Barney. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. <laughs> Depends on what time you. Yeah. That's what I'm, with these things. You can't. You can't. You know. You got to sum sum all of them up. But uh, great to see you, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having us along. Oh, that's right, mate. Thank you. Bun, we're cracking off our afternoon now. Friday afternoon with a glass of your uh, rather delicious Chardonnay. What are we drinking? We are drinking our 2019 Garagist Turong Chardonnay. And so, for people that don't know, Turong is a is a township, is a uh, <laughs> suburb, is is located in kind of the northern sector of the Mornington Peninsula. <laughs> I hate the way it's suburb. It's a lovely little town, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two wrongs, and there is a joke that can kind of go on from that. Which uh, is? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's a, we'll just keep it at that. It's, got, it's called Two wrongs, okay? It's right, it's right near Muraduck, uh, not far from Dramana. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, get, we'll delve into that a little bit deeper. So. Okay, all right. Uh, fun. Uh, we may as well start with the obvious. What is a single vineyard wine? Single vineyard wine is from pretty much a single parcel, <laughs> a single vineyard, uh, a single block. Um, yeah, so kind of one one patch of dirt that grapes are growing on, harvested from, you know, in entirety, made into one wine, not blended with anything else, not yep. blended from, um, you know, another property. Um, a single vineyard wine can be a single variety, uh, but it also can be multiple varieties too. So when, when you talk about a single vineyard, um, say Rhone blend, that is perfectly correct, or a single vineyard Shiraz, Chardonnay, Pinot. So, yeah, there can be, you know, Grenache, Shiraz, Mavedra grown in uh, a single site, blended together to make one wine. And it's obviously something that we're seeing more and more, right? I mean, you you walk into a bottle shop these days and a single vineyard wine is not an uncommon thing to come across. Why are we seeing more and more of this these days? I think as a kind of young wine producing nation that um, I think there's a, there, there is definitely a greater interest in where grapes are grown and where wines are coming from and the expression of those. Um, you know, you could also say that there's people that are interested in where their beef grows, uh, where their eggs are coming from, uh, where the wheat is coming from that, that is in a loaf of bread and, and is that from a distinct site. Uh, a special site, and and we're seeing that 
within wine as well. And and we've seen that many years ago. It's not it's not it's not a new thing for Australia, but it's something that is is becoming more prevalent. I think. So for people that don't know, Barney uh, makes really lovely wine, and I'm not just saying that because he's in front of me. <laughs> yes, you, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he makes rubbish wine, uh, but we thought we'd do this podcast because we thought it would be a bit of a laugh and, and I could pull him up on it. Because so <laughs> he's a cracker. That's the only reason I've got him on here, um, if you couldn't already tell. So Barney makes, Barney's kind of flagship wines, he, he does a range of Pinot Noir and he does a range of Chardonnay and he does a, from those three towns that we mentioned, which is, maybe I haven't mentioned, which is Turong, Merricks and Balnaring. Yep, they're all They're all towns on the peninsula. So he does a Merricks Pinot and a Merrick Chardonnay and a Turong Pinot and a Chardonnay and he also does a Balnaring Pinot and Chardonnay. Uh, how do you go about, Barney, selecting your sites? So when when we started, we were purchasing fruit uh, in the early days of our business, and then over the years we've been able to secure sites that we lease and we farm them ourselves. We still share farm other sites as well, but how? Yeah, they're some are fortuitous that they they fall in our lap and there's an opportunity, and then and then we go with it. Um, other things we kind of you know, nibble away at the edges and, and go, gee, we'd love to kind of have a crack at something over there and, and they become available. And that's exactly what, uh, with the Chardonnay that we've got here now, um, it's from Hugh Robinson's vineyard uh, on um, Old Murduck Road. And that was a site that we, you know, yeah, many years ago had an opportunity to work with some of the fruit. We don't own the vineyard, and but we had the opportunity to, to work with it and to make uh, hopefully this delicious wine that you're experiencing. If you wanted to demonstrate the differences between sites, yep. right, uh, in this case, you have Chirong, Merricks, Balnaring, what would be the best grape variety to choose and why? Uh, I think we've got to go back to probably what we see as the grape varieties that suit more, the Mornington Peninsula the best. And, and for us, we see Chardonnay, we see Pinot Noir, and we see Pinot Gris. Um, we try there's, – there's so many variables in wine that you can kind of go, oh, well, if I tweak that, if I do that, if I, if I change that. Whereas I think when I started, I was like, let's try and stay with the same kind of vine material – similar vine age let's use you know similar techniques when we make the wine and and aging the wine and then also bottling the wine so to take out as you know as many variables but also to make the best possible wine that you can make i think that's kind of what flicked the switch in my head to go gee wouldn't it be great you know to create garages but also to highlight the subregions or the townships uh, within those so, Barney, before we start to really delve into uh, the township wines that you make down here on the peninsula, let's like pull it back for a second and and I want to talk about how how microclimates affect the flavour of our wine, right? From uh, elevation to temperature to proximity to water, for example, yep. to certain soil profiles. Can you talk to us a little more generally around how sites affect the wine we drink? Yep. Yeah, like where we are a peninsula in Mornington, so we're surrounded by three bodies of water and the way uh, weather patterns kind of relate to those bodies of water uh, will have a great influence um, to the sites. 
the soil types of where they are. So in in Turong and Muraduk, the the soils are kind of sand over clay and they're the lowest kind of elevation. And then as we transition through Balnaring into Merricks, we move into brown and red soils uh, and we've come up, you know, maybe 100 metres in, in elevation. And then when we hit main region Red Hill, we're at the top of um, kind of the Mornington Peninsula and, you know, we're predominantly red volcanic soils sitting at, you know, kind of two, 250 metres. So generally speaking, the higher you go, the cooler yep. the temperature will be, yep. the slower the grapes will ripen. Yep. So the, so the yeah. higher the acidity, is that... Yeah, generally in the cooler regions, the high uh, the higher the acidity. So yeah, the warm regions in Australia will be you know um, have the lowest. Um, typically, require a lot of water too to to grow your grapes. Um, as you kind of yeah again wherever you situate yourself, um, depending on rainfall, but elevation too will play how cool it'll be and how long you know your um, ripening cycle can will be. So we've got a Chardonnay in front of us from Turong. From Turong. Yep. yep. Can you talk to me about the soil profile of Turong? Uh, so sandy soil over clay. Um, clo- yeah, again, proximity to Port Phillip Bay, so low elevation, um, kind of warm in yeah, warm in the context of Mornington. And so, okay, so what does that mean though? All right, so w- when you say warmer proximity to the water, sandy, what does that mean? For for this Chardonnay and and maybe for other wines that come from around this area, they they can be fleshier. Um, they can be you know have some some richness to them without being overt. Um, I think there's a, there's also kind of a bit of that saltiness or saline kind of character. Um, but there, there is, you know, and, and in some instances, a kind of softness. But, you know, in the context of fruit profile for this wine, maybe it is a bit more stone fruity. Um, and is that because it ripens, because it's a warmer climate, it ripens a little earlier? So is that why we're getting more sort of stone fruits on the palate? Can do, can do. And and even if, like, we'll get to the next wine, which will be our um, 2019 Merrick Chardonnay. Now, that is a little bit cooler. Uh, it's a little bit more elevated. It has slightly higher acidity because it is cooler um, and it and it is probably a bit more citrus in in its fruit profile um, and yeah again is it maybe a bit more delicate um, is it yeah does it have a bit more fineness to it maybe but the, again as I said like there's there's so many variables within wine like you can you can pick warm sites early you know you can pick cool sites late um, so you can't you can't generalise, um, you know, ac- across a lot of things. You got you got to yep. you got to look at, at where they are, uh, and and again work to their kind of strong suit. And with the soil profile of Turong, you said it's sandy. Yep. How does that affect grapes? That's that's great. That's a good question. Um, they're maybe a little bit more hungry for water. Um, so some sites that are over sand. Um, you know, uh, if there's not enough rainfall, then they, they might require some irrigation. These sites, uh, you know, uh, our Turong Vineyard uh, is old enough that it doesn't require any irrigation. But um, yeah, then then when you kind of hit over to Balnaring and and Merricks, the the soils have a little bit more water holding capacity, um, and and again, they're, again, they're they're cooler, and you know, yeah, they can they're they're extending out the growing season. How does volcanic soil impact wine? There can be a bit more vigour over in those um, kind of 
firmer soils, um, ones with a bit more structure. You know, do they do they taste of you know the volcano that was there <laughs> millions of years ago? Uh, I don't know if that I don't know if that translates. Um, some may disagree, but when we come to you know evaluating places to grow grapes, you you tend to kind of look first and foremost: are there vineyards around where you are? Um, and you know what is the research behind those, and and then you can actually taste uh, probably wines from those vineyards, and then make further judgment when you are looking at regions that have no vineyards, have not produced any wine. Then then you kind of go, yeah, you got to come back to the basics, and you got to go right. Let's look at let's look at the soil. Let's test the soil. Let's see what nutrients are there or are lacking. Then. We've got to look at, okay, what's the elevation? Um, is it high? Is it low? Um, uh, which way do we face? Um, you know, back in the day, we, you know, we'd always plant north-facing as the things are kind of warming up uh, for us um, in everyone's neighbourhood. Mm. We're kind of looking for cooler sites and, and maybe even facing east um, so there's less kind of harsher sun um, over the grapes. We want to look at how much rain we get, um, and you know, yeah, we, we well, for me, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to rely on irrigation, and I'd want to go. Well, if I can, you know, have adequate rainfall, then happy days. Um, that's going to, you know, help us grow the vineyard, um, keep it, you know, um, the inception of the vineyard, and then and then keep it going for hopefully many many years afterwards. But yeah, is there water around us? Are we, you know, further inland? Um, if we're further inland and we're elevated, um, how are we going to go with frost? Because it's going to get cold in spring. So how do we how do we deal with that? Yeah, there's there is so many things that you know. And then you go, what varieties do we do we think are going to suit there? That because of those, you know, the temperature of that area, um, how much sun, how much sunshine do we get? Um, what varieties do we want to put then? then what clones of those varieties and, and then what wine do we want to make and uh, further, further down the line is, you know, what do people want to drink? Yeah, of course. Well, that's the probably the, the biggest consideration that you as a winemaker would have to make, right? Yeah. What's yeah. trending? So, well, like a, that's a thing. Like you, it's, it's pretty hard to to kind of to, to go with the trends too because, you know, you, you put a vine in the ground and you don't get a crop for three years. And then you, you know, you get your first crop and you make the wine and, and then maybe by, you know, uh, 10 years after that, you're kind of going, wow, is this, is this really a good site? And then if the fashion's changed, you've got to roll that again or, you know, like do you pull it out? Do you replant? Do you, yeah, like it's, it's, not, it's not an easy ship to turn around yeah. if, if, um, if the worm turns. Actually, that's a really interesting point you raise, Barney. Like do you have to kind of – well, you can't even really forecast trends, right? I mean you just have to go with your gut instinct and go, yep. look, Chardonnay and Pinot, say on the peninsula, thrive. I'm going to go with them and maybe uh, if trends shift, I'll just have to evolve my winemaking style and deliver those wines differently to people. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, I think early days of the peninsula, there was Cabernet planted because, you know, and the Cabernet family, um, you know, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, um, to see that, yeah, are, are we going to be similar to Bordeaux? Um, but we're going to plant, you know, Burgundy variety. So we're going to plant 
Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, we've got to we've got to adapt and we've got to evolve. So yeah, but at this point in time, um, you know, <laughs> this is th- what you're rolling with. Yeah, this is what we're rolling with, <laughs> and and hopefully it's doing a, you know a, a pretty pretty good job so far. Because <laughs> a lot of people would know that when you plant grapes, I mean, you don't get or when you plant vines, sorry, you don't get harvest for at least five years. Depends. Um, again, you know how high your canopy is, where you've planted it, yeah. the density and things like that, but. Typically, you know, you put put the vines in the ground, they'd grow up a little bit in, in you know, that growing season. You cut them straight back down to, to two buds. They'd grow back up again. You might get them onto the wire. Um, there'd be no fruit. Then the next year, there might be some fruit, but you probably would cut it all off to to enable the roots to kind of push down a bit further and, and the vine to get stronger. So, yeah, probably year four, you might take some crop off it. Yeah, um, and then you know, down the track, you might go, okay, what? How do I evaluate this, and and how good or bad is it? I oh, he's about to crack the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and, sh- and and should it kind of go? <laughs> what a sweet sound on a Friday. Uh, <laughs> so, buddy. Peter Noir uh, obviously is a variety you showcase via those uh, three townships, uh, Merrick, Chirong and Balnaring. How are the each of these sites uh, affected by microclimate positioning and soil um, when it comes to Peninawar? Um The warmer sites have typically lower acidity. The cooler sites have higher acidity. Um, the middle ones kind of sit somewhere in between. So there can be darker fruits um, in in the warmer sites and there can be, you know, kind of more red fruits from the cooler sites. Um, that, that's generalising a little bit, but um, for, for what kind of translates for our wines and our sites, that's that's one thing that we can that we notice year to year. Because I was actually wondering, Barney, uh, when I was chatting with a mate about your wine the other day, do you employ, right, so you obviously get your Pinot Noir grapes from Balnaring, you get your Pinot Noir grapes from Merrickson, you get your Pinot Noir grapes from Turong, and, and obviously the elevations and the soil profiles are, difference between those, are different between those three sites, but do you employ the same winemaking technique across each of those three wines? Early... Early days when you know I wanted to kind of highlight the the single site and township wines, I tried to pare back as many variables as as possible, but still keeping in mind that you know we want to make delicious wine and the best possible wine that we can make. And yeah, so I went okay. Let's choose. You know, luckily the vines were about the same age, um, so the vineyards were planted at the same same time. We chose a clone that was across, say, the three sites. So um, MV6 was is the Pinot clone that we predominantly work with. And then techniques within the winery, I tried to keep pretty, you know, um, pretty close to the same. Um, it's very hard to kind of keep a, a, a ferment at the, exactly the same temperature over its duration um, and tank to tank, but try and keep that as close as possible. But yeah, so we would kind of work them the same. We'd keep them on skins for about the same amount of time. Then we would age them in barrels similarly and then bottle them in a similar fashion. Because I feel like in order to make uh, and I might be totally wrong, but in order to make true township wines, uh, and in this case, you're expressing Pinot Noir uh, in the same vintage from three different sites on the peninsula to really showcase the, the the microclimates of each of those regions, you kind of have to make them the same, right? Y- yes and no. Like, yeah, ultimately, 
you want to make the best possible thing you can. So you're not you're not going to sacrifice something from a site if you know, for example, like you might go, I want to I want to include whole bunches within our Pinot Noir, which is more more Pinot Noir being produced in Australia with that included. Now you might know a site that is quite cool, uh, might be up in Main Ridge and Red Hill, and you go, well, if I employ the same amount of whole bunch in that wine, might be 50%, it's going to be far too dominating from that site than from my other site that it might be warmer and can handle it. So you that's where you have to weigh up still going, I want them to be true to the township, but also true to be the, the best possible wine they can be. Yeah, you obviously have to adjust your wine t- wine making techniques depending on yeah. yeah, yeah, and you and you work that out over time. Like you, yeah, intuitively you you gather that over the years, and and also too you, you know, you might look at other wines in the area and kind of go, okay, I think that can work. And and again too, you've got to work with the season. So the season will dictate. You know, in a cool year, you might go, oh no, I've got to back that off a little bit, or you know, um, in a warmer year, oh, okay, I've got to I've got to change that up, or I've got to tweak that. So. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely not a, a paintbrush that just goes, yep, just do it one <laughs> one size or, or one size fits all. Um, no, it's not it's not going to work that way. So that's that's where having you know the the knowledge of working sites with sites and and vines year to year is is really important. And as every vintage rolls on, do you get to know your sites a little bit better? Definitely, definitely. You you get to kind of. I used to marvel at hearing you know, uh, maybe older winemakers in, in Europe kind of talk about seasons and, and so concisely like to go, oh, yeah, I remember in 2000 and, you know, 1997 and it did this or 1982 and it did this and they could always remember stuff and, and I was kind of like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get to that point at some time and I'll go, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember 2007 and, and <laughs> you do, you do with age and you kind of go, yeah, I, the seasons kind of, there's certain ones that you kind of, um, flick a bit of a switch in, in, in your head and you go, yes, I do remember that for that reason. You won't remember, you know, how many mils of rain you had in September or December or you might, but uh, not for me. But you kind of go, yes, I remember the cool nature of that season or I remember the warm nature. I remember uh, we had this big storm in February. There'll be certain things that, that trigger. but um, And that's, again, you want that to have a relationship to the wine. As you as you just said about single site wines, I want I want them to reflect the site, but also the season. And Bunny, in your experience, how has climate change affected the the regions and and the sites that you source grapes from? Uh, so yeah, again, I'm you know young into wine. Um, it's been twenty years of making wine, so there's there's heaps of people that probably have a, a greater data bank of seasons than than I do, but. For being for making wine in Mornington since two thousand and three, uh, back in two thousand and three, we were picking later, like we would start the harvest later, um, and we would finish later. Uh, so, in the context of that, we we're picking, you know, start of March into March and picking well into the end of April, um, and and that's what had happened in the decade earlier, you know, from that. As we have gotten warmer, um, we are picking, you know, more commonly in February. Um, the warmer sites will probably pick at the start of February and um, and keep going. Um, and then even the cooler sites are coming earlier too. So the, it's like the season has shifted, um, you know, say a month earlier from start to finish. 
Barney, you are hands-on across the entire winemaking process. You're a viticulturalist. You're a winemaker. What are the benefits of being hands-on across that entire process? I don't think you can have, you know, you don't think about one without the other. And, you know, was I drawn into this field because I wanted to make wine? Yeah, probably. But am I more drawn now to farming? That's correct. Now, the harder we, yeah, the harder I work or anyone works in the vineyard and, you know, you give yourself the best opportunity to, to grow the best fruit that you can, it makes everything downstream so much easier. If I have, you know, the best Pinot Noir fruit, the best Chardonnay fruit that I've grown or helped grow and I get it into the winery, there's not a lot you kind of have to stuff around to um, to make that into delicious wine. Um, you, if you've, you know, if you've got poor quality fruit and you've kind of cut corners and you think you're going to get away with it, then you've got to do a lot more work to that to to kind of redeem it. And yeah, so a lot of the work actually begins in the in the vineyards. So definitely, definitely, and like, and that's yeah. You, I don't ever thought oh, when I yeah again working in restaurants that that was not the case. I think once you get into it though, you kind of go, oh wait a second, yeah, this is yeah agriculture is um, it's hard work. You know you can you can do everything within your power to to grow whatever you whatever field you're in, whatever crop you're growing to the best of your ability, but something can go wrong that is totally out of your control. So too much rain or hailstorm or, you know, bushfire or too much wind or too much sun. You've got no control over that. Um, and you've, you've worked your ass off to, to do everything right. And they're the things we've just got to roll with. And, you know, some years will be better than others. There's, there's no doubting that. But we will give ourselves the best opportunity in every year to do that, like we we won't cut corners. We'll work our asses off. Whatever happens, happens. But um, the best possible fruit that you can grow will give you the opportunity to make the best possible wine. So, Bunny, if you're going to do a single vineyard tasting at home, how would you go about it? I would go to a great wine retailer and I would have a conversation with them and I would say, yeah, this is what we want to do. We We want to look at, you know, be it, Chardonnay, and we want to look at it from uh, a single site, and we want to see that from multiple people. And there might be a vineyard out in the Yarra Valley that sells fruit, grows fruit for a number of different people, and there might be three, four, five different winemakers. And you can line them up. You can line up the same year from the same vineyard, three, four, five different winemakers, and have a look and see how different that looks. Or how similarly it looks. Can you see the the thumbprint of the vineyard over, you know, whoever made the wine? You could also go, well, you know, a winery, maybe it's us, uh, that focuses on township wines and you want to line up, yeah, Merricks versus Balnaring, you know, Turong versus Merricks from the same year, which is exactly what we've done today, and go, do they look different? If the, if the winemaking has been similar... Um, but there is a you know a great difference in the character of the wine. Is that the site? And it probably is. 
So you could really play around with it. I mean, you could you could get Pinot Noir from Turong and pick three different years. Definitely. Definitely, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you're right, you can you, – you, exactly like that. You can flip it around. You can look at Merrick's over three, you know, similar vintages or very different vintages and go, okay, does it? do I still see the site within that? Yeah, that's – yeah, it's a good call. Uh, Barney, I want to thank you for um, joining us on By the Glass today and providing some um, really great insight into the – whole world of single vineyard wines. Thank you for having me. Oh, is that all you can say? (laughs) (laughs) Mate, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you in the cellar here. This cellar recording is A1. Uh, It's been, no, it's been an absolute blast, mate. And I just hope that, uh, you know, some people listen to it and have a glass of wine. And uh, that's all I can say is just... Get a glass of wine and just enjoy it. (laughs) And enjoy your Friday. Thanks so much, Barney, for joining us. Uh, This was another episode of By the Glass. Have a fabulous weekend. Bye.